We are filled with dread. This is a generation of folks that lived through the 2008 financial crisis and that are old enough to remember 9-11. So when we look at something like this, we're like, what is happening? You know, we lived through that an Obama presidency and a Trump presidency and an Iraq war, all of that. We've lived through all of that. So we are looking at this with great wide eyed fear as opposed to Gen Z who's like, eh, da, 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 da. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. We are here today remotely from quarantine. <laughs> we wanted to, we're basically like gone through our backlog. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're now on to recording uh, uh, new episodes from the comfort of our homes. Um, but today we're just going to like, I feel like it would be remiss to talk about anything but like what's going on right now, since this is obviously the biggest thing going on in everyone's lives. So yeah, we're just gonna have a conversation about the coronavirus <laughs> with uh, with Big Ron from Always Big Ron Studios, who has a, a retinue of his own podcast. But why don't you just go ahead and like tell us about who you are and what you do? Thank you. I am a podcaster and storyteller located here in the D.C. metropolitan area, Alexandria, Virginia, to be specific. Um, but I have two podcasts, Time Well Spent and Leaving the Theater and working on producing and creating others. Cool. So I might have the Rona. <laughs> um, on Monday, I was told from a friend that he was exposed to the Rona and I had seen that friend. I played tennis with him. Um, and I like started experiencing some light symptoms, really, really mild stuff, but, um, like my lungs hurt and like a little bit of a cough and things like that. So, um, I am like whole ass quarantined, which is wild. And I'm here at my partner's apartment, which is like a, a one bedroom basement. And, um, I'm here until like the Monday after next at the earliest, which is wild. Wow. <laughs> Rip. <laughs> Rip indeed, dude. <laughs> but at least you're not literally by yourself. I think that would be way worse. No, I think I'd you know? much rather be quarantined with her than like by myself. Yeah, totally. Um, so that's a blessing. And we're, we're doing a pretty good job on the food front. We made pizza last night homemade. Nice. Nice. Did you make the dough or did you buy pre-made dough? Um, she made the dough. She's really good with breads and okay. whatnot. And I made. So she like she like got water, flour, and yeast and put it together. Yeah, and we have okay. a sourdough starter here. So we're like, got wild bread, wow. wild sustainability, and <laughs> <laughs> and um, but I made I made the pizza sauce um, out of uh, four cans of diced tomatoes. So like getting real, you know, like real conservationist here. Nice and. Um, and we're going to reuse the sauce for chicken parm today. So we're out here. Nice. Damn. Okay, so yeah. day, day one, homemade pizza. Day two, homemade chicken and parm. Day three, cereal? Or <laughs> <laughs> Well, in, in all actuality, it was, like, it was like day five was pizza and day six okay. will be parm. I think day, I think day 10, especially as we start to run low, we did a big ass like instant cart run. Mm. Um which was hilariously expensive, by the way. <laughs> um, 
but well if someone's going out there and risking their life for you i mean yeah, it makes sense i'm happy to right? pay the premium i get it plus i'm not spending any money on anything literally right now <laughs> so yeah um i'm happy to pay the premium but um it was expensive so but we tried to get everything that we would need in the next like 14 days which is a really hard thing to do um yeah and it's really hard to not just fall into the habit of going to instant cart for little things because like from all the fees that you're going to pay it's going to be like bare minimum 15 dollars um Mm -hmm. so like (laughs) and because of the way grocery stores are right now there's a good chance that that like some of your stuff's gonna have to get replaced or dropped so we in in one of my little like tertiary orders i we were ordering two bottles of wine and unbleached flour and unbleached flour is very hard to come around right now. Any kind of flour actually is very hard to come around right now, at least in DC. And, um, uh, so we ordered that and it ended up getting, uh, we ended up only getting one bottle of wine (laughs) that I paid around $25 for. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, you know, Yo, we're here right now. So the key was for me, like when it started going down was I went to um, and I'm not even drinking right now. I haven't drank. I don't think I've drank in 2020, but uh, I went to I went to I was like, just in case I have alcohol in my house, just in case I'm like, I got to drink something. But um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I I uh, went to Wegmans um, because my my girlfriend was like, can you get a box of wine? And I actually bought her a box, but I also bought myself a box and just left this stashed in the uh, pantry right now. Like just in case, because it's like you get one box. That's like that's three bottles right there or three or four. If you uh, if you like ration it carefully as long as you don't try to go through the whole thing yeah and meanwhile isabel never drinks so she's fine yeah (laughs) oh nice yeah that works yeah i really think the key to to pandemic shopping is that you have to get all the proportions right because like i really feel like at the end like we're just going to be eating like rice and beans and like nothing else you know (laughs) pretty much like i think if you can well i don't know i i feel like I don't think food's going to run out. Like, I think there's a lot of unused food that's like around right now that they're just going to have to get into circulation somehow. For but sure. I agree. I definitely think that uh, like variety might run out. <laughs> you know yeah. What I mean? like, it's like, is it the food that you actually want? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because it's like, who's actually going? To, but then at the end, I mean, I think this is going to last a while, but I don't think it's going to last forever. Like, I think we're still in the doom and gloom phase of this. Like, I think we're still in the phase where it's like, oh, my God, it's the worst possible thing that could ever happen, which probably probably it is. Holy <laughs> say, like I say, probably because I'm like, I think there's some worse things that could happen. Like, I'm like, like if we got attacked, if they like if I don't know, there's just like I think there's worse things that could happen. Right? There's For worse sure. viruses, certainly. There's like, oh, yeah, like this one is like a, a survivable virus as opposed to like one that's imagine if the death rate on this was like if the death rate on this was like 80 percent, I think everyone would be have no problem social distancing. I think because the death rate is low, people are like, well, I mean, I'm if I get it, I might not die. So, But that being <laughs> well, said, in fact, you probably won't die. Yeah, right? if, especially if you're our age. Yeah, exactly. You're more than you're more likely to live than die with this. But that being said, it's still it's still enough that it's like, I'm sorry to go back to the food thing. The point is because there's still people that are willing to go out and risk anything to to do whatever they do, whether that is milk the cow, get the eggs, gather the uh, gather the vegetables, whatever. So, I mean, I would argue probably the food is out there. It's just like who wants who wants to be the one to go get it? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
So <laughs> as a PSA to anyone listening to our corn cast, please tip your instant cart workers a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know, I posted yesterday, my barber, I'm, I'm still paying my barber because I still have my job. I work from home now, but I'm still paying my barber because I'm like, he has no income. And if his income is only from his clients, if you still have a job, you should just pay your barber regularly, man. Like anybody that like is dependent on your income, if you have the money to give them, you should give it to them, whether regardless of the, whether they rendered service or not, because like it, I mean, that's just it's unfortunate. That's how the economy set up. But. I mean, what are we supposed to do? You know, like, how, how do we how do we help those people? The government's not going to help them. You know, twelve hundred dollars like, are going to be enough. Yeah. I mean, it's literally just an inherent thing is that like everything is interconnected. Right. Yeah. So it's like, what 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 are you going to do? You know? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think it's just going to be like. I mean, this is literally like everyone's talking about like the, you know, the whole Andrew Yang, like is all of a sudden like his phone is ringing off the hook. Like this is definitely going to if there was going to be an event to like push us over into like be more socialist, this is going to be it. Right. Yeah. 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 And this is I don't know how political we're getting on this podcast, but this um, election provided that it happens. Um, you know, when it's, it'll happen. when it's supposed to happen, <laughs> um, I could see I could see a scenario of it getting postponed, but we'll see. Sure, um, yeah. But it's going to be I mean, it's just going to be really telling, you know, because I think this is the thing that people can really feel. Right. This is the thing that really people can look at their government and sort of decide, were they happy with how our government handled this thing that maybe impacted me directly? Well, certainly impacted me directly in some way, shape. Yeah, I mean, you're sitting inside for the next, like, until whatever, like, the Monday after next, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. I mean, but also consider that, like, when you walk into that election booth, I think, and I don't know what your, y'all's political leanings are. I'm making some strong assumptions now, but I'm saying, like, <laughs> but that being said, if you walk into that political, when you walk into the booth, you, DeAndre, will walk in there and say, okay, so... I was in my house for two weeks. Why was in my house for two weeks? Was it because leadership didn't jump on this fast enough? Leadership didn't do exactly what they could have done beforehand because leadership defunded CDC. All of those questions will be in your in your head as you walk into the booth. And I just hope that everyone else has all the information walking into the booth because there's a there's a poll out, which I question this poll. And, and it's not that I, I I believe that the poll says what the poll says. They say 60 percent of Americans approve of the job. Donald Trump is doing with the with the virus right now. But but it was uh, what what made me question it was I was like, when did they ask this question? And they said, well, the poll was taken on this Monday. I was like, you mean the Monday after social distancing started? Of course, they're going to approve that Monday because he's like, all right, everybody go to your homes. Let's be safe. You know what I mean? But if you you asked him a week before that, that was not the rating he was receiving. So the question is, after all this is said and done, what's everybody saying? I, what's everyone going to say about the president? And I would hope that walking into the booth, people keep all of those things in mind and not just think about the latest thing that happened. Just think about the thing as a whole, you know? Yeah. And I th- yeah. And I, he- I heard that that bump was also because he sent out this mailer, right? That you see that, that, that mailer that he sent is like, this is what to do about coronavirus, like, you know, from the president, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I think that <laughs> I just, Ron's face just now was <laughs> <I'm just sorry. laughs> like, you sent out a mailer. So you sent out coronavirus to everybody. <laughs> um, and I think that, I mean, this is a long term thing, you know, at least in terms of crises, right? Like we're going to be dealing with this for at least a couple of months, if not longer. 
And I think that even if we didn't question, you know, the methodology of the poll, which we definitely should, <laughs> by the way, um, as like a micro statistician <laughs> or whatever, um, even if we didn't question the methodology of the poll, I think that people's attitudes coming out of this are probably just going to be so different to their attitudes coming into it. Like once they've spent, you know, who knows like what, like what sort of the mass narrative is going to be after we've all been sitting in our houses for three months. Agreed. 100% agreed. 100% agreed. (laughs) It's going to be hard, like coming out, like, I I don't know. I think a lot of us are are like stealing time when we can, getting outside when we can and trying to like uh, apply the social distancing guidelines when we can. But I can tell you now, when I'm sitting around looking at the news cycle tick daily every day and watching what he says and then having people who have a lot of time in their house to kind of like contextualize it for me. Yeah. I'm like, bro, you, you'd be better off if I wasn't sitting at the house looking at the news all day. Cause I'm gonna have a thought when I get outside. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll take this. But it also works in the opposite direction because there's some people who were just not really politically engaged at all prior to, you know, all this going on. And now they're sitting looking at the news. And for some people it is like, you know, having kind of a positive, you know, reaction of being like, oh, I didn't even realize the government was doing anything. Like, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's unclear, right? Yeah. But like, it's unclear, like what direction it would necessarily push larger, like groups of people who are not like in our bubbles, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, I, I, yeah. You're right. <laughs> um, so Isabel, I know I've shown you the Philip DeFranco show before. Ronald, have you seen the Philip DeFranco show? I keep it it comes across my like purview, but I've never actually engaged in it. Yeah. So he um, Philip DeFranco is just a dude. He's like a longtime YouTuber. He's been on YouTube for over a decade. And before he just used to make these like really kind of like trashy bro meme videos. But he slowly developed into an actual news channel where now he he has, you know, a whole staff and they every weekday they release around a 20 minute video. Um, of just like whatever daily news, whatever daily news is important. And his, I really like, I'm plugging his show right now because I think he's doing a really good job at every every day of update, updating with um, like coronavirus news, like not just the, not just the numbers, you know, sort of what's happening politically, how different uh, cities and countries have handled it, why, you know, why the way our country handling it might be different than other countries. So plug for, especially in the last two weeks, the Philip DeFranco show, because I think he's done a really good job at sort of aggregating news in an unbiased way. His stick is that he he gives the news and then he says, all right, that's the news. Now I'm drawing a line here and I'm giving my opinion, but this is just my opinion on the news. So I like that. I think that's important. I think it's important to make that distinction, especially right now just to be like, all right, this is what I think of the news, but here's the actual, here are the facts. Here's what I think of those facts. Yeah, here are the facts of the matter. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I think this is actually a pretty good transition because he covered, you know, the story of all those, of all those kids in Miami and those clips that went viral. Of, oh, yes. Of Thank you. Partying. Good segue. Yes. <laughs> um, Ronald, do you maybe want to introduce the topic? Because I know that Isabel, I think, is a little bit out of the out of the. Yeah, okay. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> OK, well, strap in. All right. So <laughs> as an elder millennial, I am 35, but I'm still firmly a millennial, like well in the middle of the uh, of what millennials are. And I believe both of you guys are millennials as too, right? Yeah. Or, or OK, so but you guys are on the back end of it, though, right? Yeah. Okay. So the problem is, is that 
Okay, so let me just introduce the. So there, uh, recently, right after basically everyone was like stay at home, there were all these clips that came out, and it was all over the news about these guys who these spring breakers who still went to Florida and Panama City Beach and all that stuff, and were saying like, "Yo, if I get Corona, I get Corona, man. I'm a party, man. I'm here, have a good time." And it was all driven under the uh, from the data of the first sets from the data looked at from Corona, which was that this disproportionately affects older people as opposed to younger people who are not dying from this. There were young people that died, to be cleared, but the numbers were very low for young people that died. So all these young people are like, yo, bump that. We going out. We going to get we going to get turned up, you know, whatever. But the most annoying part about this was that everyone kept advertising this as like millennials want to go on spring break. Millennials want to go have a good time on spring break. And all of us was like, yo, those aren't millennials. No, they're not millennials. (laughs) They are not millennials. How dare you? We are old. We are like hanging out with our cats. We're losing our hair. We are like gaining weight quickly. Like we're we're not. All of us are young. Like the the young millennials. Those are the last of us. Like yeah. and you guys are even creeping up. You know what I mean? Like it's like stop calling everybody that's young a millennial. That's ridiculous. Yeah, like those kids were built were born in like the two thousands. Yes, that's Gen Z. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's your new whipping boy. Like go at Gen Z. <laughs> Because I'm like, the thing that people don't understand is like, every time you guys talk about millennials, we know who we are. We're the largest voting block. We are now the largest voting block. A lot of people don't realize that. Like, we're the largest voting block. So we can control a lot of what happens next. So I'm like, when you guys talk this trash about generalizations about young people doing things, I'm like, just say, you don't even have to say Gen Z. Just say young people are acting up. And then we can all say, yeah, yeah, young people are acting up. But don't say millennials (laughs) are acting up because really there's a, a, a really strong distinction between I think how millennials are taking this versus how Gen Zers are taking this. (laughs) Yes, we are filled with dread. This is a generation of folks that lived through the 2008 financial crisis and that are old enough to remember 9-11. So when we look at something like this, we're like, what is happening? You know, we lived through that an Obama presidency and a Trump presidency and an Iraq war, all of that. We've lived through all of that. So we're not looking at this saying like, we are looking at this with great wide-eyed fear as opposed to Gen Z who's like, eh, da, 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 who cares? <laughs> yeah. What does this mean? I don't know. <laughs> well, I I sort of never put it through the lens of exactly how much sort of aggressive turmoil and shift that like millennials like were sort of entering into their prime and were able to view at one time. So that's, yeah, a really cool perspective. Um, yeah, I think that we, I think that like we're just full of dread, <laughs> and yeah, just like you, <laughs> what you said, and 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 when we, at least I don't know when I saw this coming to America, the virus, I was like, oh, this is gonna be fucking bad, and I just like started bracing myself, you know? Yeah, I see. I I didn't like get that feel. Like what, for example. My mom, like, was the one who decided, like, to work from home, like, a week before her entire firm, like, actually officially, like, called, like, called everything off. And everyone was, like, giving her a lot of shit for it. And I was also giving her a lot of shit for it. I was like, Mom, like, you know, I don't need to, like, wear masks. Like, this is just, like, like, you know, kind of, I was just definitely, like, poo-pooing it. And then now I was, now I'm definitely like, oh, yeah, 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 you're totally right. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so you're the bad guy politician from uh, from uh, the day after tomorrow. You're the person that's like, I can't go to the president with this, with 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 uh, conjecture. You know what I mean? I, I think there was a lot of people that were in the same position as you that just like didn't take it that or didn't know how serious to take it. I'll put it like that. But it was there was a daily episode. Shout out to New York Times, the daily um, that weeks, like maybe a month and a half ago came out with something. And as a result, I went to all the closest people in my life. It was the week of your live show. I went to all the closest people in my life and told them, you guys need to make sure you guys have food in the house. You need to make sure that all your prescriptions are met. I went out and got a flu shot just to make sure that I didn't get the flu during this time. Um, <laughs> like I just went out and did all this preparatory stuff because I read that one. I read, I listened to this and the way they said it, they're like, listen, it's not going to be like black plague, but it might be like Spanish flu and everyone should be ready to just stay in our houses for a couple of months like that. That just might be the case is like you might just have to stay inside. And when he said that, I was like, dang, man, that's crazy. And even though I listened to him and believed him, I could not picture I could not picture what staying in my house for a couple of months looked like. And even now that it's happening, I'm like a couple of months like we're just yeah. starting week three. I'm like a couple of months. My yeah. birthday's April 12th. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> Dude, fam, my girl's birthday is on April 27th. And yeah. I've been racking my brain about ways to try and make it special in quarantine. <laughs> like, you know, like, what do you do? I mean, buy her a fresh tomato and say, I bought yeah, you a fresh then, tomato. By then, fresh tomatoes are going to be a crazy gift. Yeah. <laughs> like, going to be like, yo, how did you get these fresh tomatoes? <laughs> like, I'm a real one. I'm yeah. going to tell you. Just start here. growing them now. Just start growing them in your house. That's your best bet, Ooh, I do want to show you all. Look, we, so I did get her this, uh, this arrow garden for her. Oh, wow. Oh, nice. For, um, for Christmas and now, I mean, we're not living off yeah. the herbs, but we are using the <laughs> herbs, you know, in yeah. all of the fresh meals that we cook. That's awesome. That's really like a gift. And it's like, I don't know, it, it definitely helps brighten the apartment up. I mean, she has a lot of plants in here in general, but like, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm living amongst other life. <laughs> that matters. That, that matters. matters. I got a I poinsettia up here. I can't turn my camera towards, but I have a poinsettia mm-hmm. here. And every time I look at it, I'm like, well, the poinsettia is still alive, so that's good. <laughs> I'm growing a, a little thing of scallions in like an empty can of black beans. <laughs> there you go. That's gonna that's gonna ensure your yeah. survival. <laughs> you might need you might need them later, man. You never know. <laughs> you never know. Especially you never if we know. move to a barter system, and then oh you're gonna barter with the scallions. Yo, man, if we move to a barter system, be like, I will record your voicemail. What do y'all need? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. I have. I have a a funny um, and kind of interesting update on the story that Ronald just told about the the or about the Gen Zers in Miami. So perhaps the most iconic dude from that video clip that Isabel hasn't seen is the dude with the backwards hat in the beginning that's like, yo, I'm just came here to party. We've been waiting three months. If I get Corona, I get Corona. And he has, he has like, he has a really distinctive, like kind of long pointy face. He has like sunburnt cheeks in the backwards hat. Yep. Um, his name is Brady Sluter and shout out to the Philip DeFranco show. Cause this is how I learned about this guy. Um, Brady Sluter on his Instagram posted a public apology that I would like to now read. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> I saw bits and pieces of it, but I'd love to hear the whole thing. Um, and then we can discuss whether or not we feel like this is a quality apology. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yes. Um, so the Instagram handle is at Brady Sluter, 
B-R-A-D-Y-S-L-U-D-E-R, because I do think he should get credit for this. Um, I would like to sincerely apologize for the insensitive comment I made in regards to COVID-19 while on spring break. I wasn't aware of the severity of my actions and comments. I'd like to take this time to own up to the mistakes I've made and and apologize to the people I've offended. Like many others, I have elderly people who I adore more than anything in the world and other family members who are at risk. And I understand how concerning this disease is for us all. Our generation may feel invincible like I did when I commented, but we have a responsibility to listen and follow the recommendations in our communities. I will continue to reflect and learn from this and continue to pray for our well-being. I deeply apologize from the bottom of my heart for my insensitivity and unawareness of my actions. Like, does he does he have coronavirus? (laughs) No, I'm not not trying to be funny. That Um, sounds funnier than I intended. (laughs) Judging Judging from his Instagram, I... It doesn't seem like he has coronavirus, but he is a SoundCloud rapper. <laughs> Come on, man. Like, yo, I, I just was about to turn in his favor, but now I'm like, oh, you one of those guys? You, I just, you one of those I, white dudes? I just wanted to, you know, I just wanted to give a holistic picture of who Brady Sluter is. <laughs> yo, so, I mean, so he's exactly the type of dude that would make that comment on the local news. Yeah, so, 100%. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like, like, of course, young people, we uh, they always do feel invincible. We we it's not until like like as you guys are you guys both in your 20s? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm 27. OK, so as you get deeper into your 30s, you really get a picture of your mortality that you didn't get before in a way that you're like, oh, I could die. You know, like it's and it's not just and we you think that as 20s and 18s too, like, oh, this could kill me. But you don't think of the terms that you could die of something like you go to the doctor to tell you got high blood pressure. You're like, oh, I could die. Like you could get heart disease and you could die. You know, like there's there's lots of ways that you you think about that, that you don't think about that in your 20s. So he's he's spot on when he says you feel invincible at that age. But I'm like, I, my thing is, like, there's no real address to say, like, hey, bro, like, could you take us through your mindset at that moment? It's not just invincibility. Like it's it's such rampant insensitivity. And you had information. You had information when you were there. And even when the news reports are asking you this, I don't know. It just seems like it's lacking something. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. You know? Yeah. But I wonder, like, when does a public apology ever really hit the mark? Like, when's the last time someone publicly apologized for something and you were like, yeah, no doubt. I will give you an example. (laughs) So uh, Kyrie Irving, the basketball player, um, for a long time kept saying, kept was a flat earther. He was like, I'm a flat earther. He was like, yeah, the earth is flat. You can't prove that it's not. He was challenging all these norms of people saying that. And then later on, uh, somebody sat him down, apparently either (laughs) either a scientist or somebody sat him down and they were like, hey, Shut up. <laughs> and the earth is not flat. <laughs> like, stop saying that. You sound dumb. And so he basically, his apology was as follows. It basically was like, hey, guys, really sorry I said that. He was like, that was crazy. He was like, I was into a lot of conspiracy theory stuff. He's like, I was way into it. And at this point, that's what I was holding on to. But it, I could recognize how it was irresponsible and how me being in my position is only purporting more of that uh, irresponsibility. So I'm really sorry about that. So the reason why this stands out to me is because he acknowledges all the things that were wrong with him saying it in the first place. So mm-hmm. basically he's saying like, 
I am a famous person. I'm a famous person that people will listen to me. So I shouldn't have said that. It was irresponsible for me to do that. He's saying the information I was given was incorrect. And he's saying what mindset he was in when he received the information, meaning that he was in a, a, a conspiracy theorist mindset, which is why I said that. And I'm sorry on each one of those levels. So with this guy, <laughs> with this guy, I feel like there's, I don't know if uh, Brady has had enough separation from the statements to understand the impact or why he's now because like for forever, forever, we'll be able to look up this clip forever. Uh, you'll always be connected as the the guy who went and partied <laughs> during the coronavirus outbreak instead of just staying your butt at home. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I guess I don't I didn't sense that in what you read. And maybe I missed it, but I didn't. For me, it's it. the kind of thing where I almost never really care about whether people apologize or not, because I think that for for me, the only thing that really matters is what you actually do. And I don't really care what you say, because I feel like most of the time the apology is literally just a PR move. Right. Even if you're like a normal person, not just like a celebrity. Right. Yeah. And for the most part, the things that normal people do don't have that much impact. And that's what's kind of weird about this situation and about voting generally is that very very few times in your life do you have actually like a pretty substantial ability to impact other people's lives in a meaningful way, right? And like staying inside, even though it seems pretty anticlimactic and kind of boring, is an example of one of those things where you actually like have an opportunity to make a moral decision, right? Cause like most of the time you're just kind of like going about your life, like whatever, like even if you fuck up, probably nothing that bad is gonna happen. Right. But there's so many examples during this outbreak of just literally like in Connecticut, which is where I'm from. Um, there is literally one person who spread it to like, you know, a hundred who had like a party of like a hundred people. And then like all of the cases in Connecticut are from that one person. Yeah. You know, and like there's the same. There's like an example of that in like South Korea is like yeah. almost all of South Korea came from this one guy who yeah. just was super Patient social and just did everything. was a super spreader. Yes. And yeah. Resulted yeah. in 80 percent of their cases. Yeah. Totally. You know, <laughs> like when when do you have as a normal person like that kind of impact on other people? <laughs> you know, and it, it, I guess what makes me think and we're kind of sliding from this and I think this is a good slide, but it, it kind of makes me think of just when I was first making those decisions early on. Right. And and I think in America, we're very used to making decisions like, well, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do that. And you can't control what I'm going to do. And we're also very used in, in this new culture, especially and the millennials have pushed this, the idea of like live and let live, letting people do what they're going to do. And I think us straying away from the idea of saying, no, you can't do that because it's not about you. That's going to hurt her or him. Like, I think we almost have to get back to that in some cases, not in all cases, because I think people will like to people. The first thing they do is like to take that and apply it to the LGBT community and say, yeah. what am I going to tell my kids? This affects me and my family. I'm like, no, it doesn't. But in the, in the case of like, could you imagine us three having a conversation and me and DeAndre leaving the conversation be like, all right, we're going to we're going to stay home. And Isabel saying like, yo, I'm going to throw this party. And if y'all don't come, that's fine. I'm still going to throw the party. I respect y'all not wanting to come. And us basically have to say to Isabel, no, you can't throw the party. Because if you throw the party, you're going to kill hundreds of people. And your decision, your decision. So now we have to start holding each other responsible in a way that says, I know you're not worried about this. I know you think it's a hoax. I know you think all these things. But that doesn't stop your indecision or decision from affecting someone else. Yeah, which this is we don't think about that enough. This is yeah. I mean, this is a really, really, really good example of like how far we 
are willing to go to respect that social contract. You know, I think that I think that this is also connected to the idea of like, do we think that people that aren't staying inside like should be fined? Like, should they be punished? You know, um, and do we really believe in the idea that like sort of your your <clears throat> your human rights stop where someone else's human rights begin? Yes. Mm. So I I'll pose that question to the group of like just to operationalize it. Like, do you think that you know if someone has a gathering, a small gathering in their house, like should that person face some sort of legal legal repercussion? I mean, I think that it's the kind of thing where like it's really it's like it's not a, like a black and white thing it is this, this weird scale and it's kind of like oh on the scale of like being the most moral person possible and like trying to save as many lives as possible versus like living a life which like convenience on the other end but like in the middle it's basically just like where is my life kind of livable you know like how much can i actually survive and obviously like that is relating back to like what you know what Ronald was saying at the beginning like has to do with like the death rate and how high you think that the stakes are right but you know how much am I willing to really sacrifice about like the life that I'm living versus doing this like virtuous thing you know but it, it it's it, I agree with you I but I think the idea of looking at it as a virtuous thing is is probably part of the problem because I think everyone's looking at it. They're saying like, it's the right thing to do. It's the moral thing. And what you have to understand is that uh, a lot of people for us, that, that motivates us to say, like, if 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 we all say it's right to do the right thing, you should do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, help each other and all that stuff. If that's our motivation, that works. But for a lot of people, they've already looked at this as a situation where the strong survive. You got to be out there and all that. And that's when I think the government should be the ones to come in and say, no, uh, you're going to kill people. And because you had this small gathering at your house, you're all fined. Like, and maybe there should be some nuance there. It's saying like, what was the gathering for? What were y'all doing? Who all came? Who all went? All that. I get all that. But I'm saying like, you have to count on the government to be able to say, hey, uh, these people, obviously, reason didn't work. Virtue being virtuous didn't work. None of that stuff worked. But now we have to just tell you this is against the law, like drunk driving. I think drunk driving is the best example. Everyone only thinks of themselves when they drunk drive. They only say, well, I'll get home easily. They're like, you might get home safe, but you could also kill someone else. If that means anything to you, then don't drive drunk. <laughs> Period. Just don't try to. If that means anything, yeah. No, yeah. I think that I agree with you, Ronald. I think that at some point, like, yeah, we are, we are going to have to start enforcing it. But I think that the, I think what's hard for people is that it just doesn't feel very American in the quintessential sense, right? Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel American to tell everyone to stay in their house and mm-hmm. find someone if they leave their house. Mm-hmm. But I think that it all comes down to sort of like how you define what being an American is. And I think that a lot of people would define being American as like, you know, caring about your fellow citizen and ensuring, you know, the, the future of the country or whatever. And yeah. But like, does that mean then, you know, since the stakes are high that like a fine by that definition then seems like it would be too low, right? Like, shouldn't these people be like tried for murder or like at least manslaughter <laughs> if they're not like intending to murder people? You know what I mean? I mean, nuance. I mean, it, like, <laughs> I think that's where nuance comes in because like that super spreader that threw that party. Like, I'd be like, when did you throw this party? Who all came? Where, and I and I almost want to be like, what types of jokes were y'all making in there about coronavirus? <laughs> like, 
You know what I mean? Were y'all in y'all the room just being jokes in the party? You know they were. You know they were in there being like, uh oh, I got coronavirus. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, of course. And so now all of you guys have coronavirus. It's not funny. It's, and one of you is probably going to die. If there's 300 of you, then eight of you are probably going to die or four to eight of you are probably going to die, depending on how we can mitigate this, you know? So I'm like, y'all, like it's, it just seems like between this and the fact that I, I agree. And so I'm saying like, in terms of the fine to jailed, there should be some sort of spectrum, but now it doesn't really matter because if you look at what the president's doing and what rich folks and what billionaires are saying they're willing to sacrifice lives in order to save the economy and their wallets. So everything we're talking about is kind of moot because uh, we we don't really have the control. We could be as virtuous as say it's the right thing to do all we want. If the powers that be are saying, hey, yo, y'all got to get back to work or we're not going to give y'all rent forgiveness and all that stuff, then you might go you might go work. You might go have to get that money so you don't get thrown out into the street. You know, like how virtuous and how moral can you be if they're like they're sacrificing your actual livelihood? And I mean, that's the price of capitalism, though, you know? Yeah, I um. I can't remember what philosopher I was reading in college, and I'm not I'm not the guy that like, you know, quotes a philosopher or whatever. But aren't you literally about to quote a philosopher? No, I'm I'm going to talk about the idea that I got from this book. It was it was the idea that the philosopher was trying to proliferate. And I and I am am all down for it. And the idea is that uh, justice and like morality are things that can only exist under conditions or like like kind of in conditions of appropriate scarcity, like in justice doesn't matter in a situation of uh, like aggressive abundance, because if everyone has everything they could ever want and some, you know, if you like do a thought experiment and you can snap your fingers and you can have whatever you want, then it doesn't matter if someone steals from you because like, <laughs> because you can just have whatever you want at any point. And also on the opposite end of the spectrum, if is you know complete complete scarcity where people are having to struggle and fight for their food justice also doesn't really matter because you're gonna put you know your well-being and your family's well-being before what is right and i think like quote unquote what is right you know and i think that yeah if exactly what you were saying ronald if we're forced to you know if our employers say like look you got to come to work or you, you know you're not gonna be able to make any money then like we're gonna have to go to work i guess and get the coronavirus that's that's crazy. That sentence, <laughs> every time I hear that, that's crazy. And I know it's true, but it's crazy. It's crazy that it's like people are going to have to make those decisions. And someone's going, there's going to be a story. There's going to be a podcast. It's going to be a This American Life, a reveal or something where they tell you a whole story about or five different cases of coronavirus in which, you know, three people died in, in those five cases. You know what I mean? Like, and then where the stimulus went and all that stuff and how none of this was effective, you know? That's it makes it hard for me. It makes it hard for me to really feel okay on earth. Or if you think about this too much, I don't see how people aren't depressed all the time. And I'm you're talking to a guy who believes in God. You're talking to a guy <laughs> who, who I'm not an atheist. I have faith in God. You know what I yeah. mean? But you're talking about like sometimes when I think about that stuff too much, I'm like, oh yeah, my no, I mean, God, why I don't you wipe us all out? I know <laughs> existential know? dread is like, you know, it's a cliche for millennials, but I think it's so fucking real yeah like like i you know my life is this apartment for the next week and a half yeah with my partner and like i feel like i find myself and probably we find ourselves like okay you know let's find something to watch so we don't have to think about 
how fucked everything is outside. Yeah. <laughs> but how do you not think about how fucked it is outside? Because it's literally everywhere else except this apartment, like where we're trying to, you know, live in, you know, live in a, a kind of a bubble. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like it's the kind of thing where we're, we also ha- like, it's so easy to vacillate wildly between like, oh my God, everything is terrible. And like, you know, but it's also easy to imagine like a future where there's like a way worse apocalypse and you're looking back on the coronavirus and you're like, oh yeah, remember that time when we just had to like literally just sit inside and watch TV? Like that was terrible. You know, like, <laughs> like it's, it's a weird perspective thing, right? Because it's all happening basically outside of our, actual like frame of reference right because we don't see people dying in the street right we're hearing about people dying in the street and we're like watching the news and stuff like that but it's weird because if we were like actually during the time of the black plague it would literally just like you wouldn't know about it in advance you would literally just suddenly everyone's dead you know (laughs) yeah i think that one thing i was reading it was like yeah how how kind of paradoxical this all this all is because the better of a job we do the more nothing happens so, yeah. <laughs> so, so if we all social distance really appropriately, then it's going to feel like nothing is happening. And which is and the best like news we could a, get. Yeah. And like the best news is that, oh, yeah, only a, only a couple people died today. <laughs> instead of hundreds we're we're just dealing all so on this very theoretical level of like you know our friend just sent us this article about like you know who how they should decide like who gets the ventilators or whatever right like should it be like the young people or the old people and it's weird because like normally you don't have to deal with a trolley problem that's on this scale right (laughs) this is the first time when we're really like at least in my experience that we've had to really think about those issues as a real life like oh shit like people are making that decision right now all the time all everywhere i i I don't know i my there's there's a part of me and i think there's a part of me that always defaults back to uh the most optimistic outcome and i mean the truth is that people are recovering from coronavirus so and that's not and it irritates me that they don't report that number like if you're going to report the number of deaths if you're going to report the number of case of confirmed cases then you need to conform report the number of recoveries you need to report the number of people that are coming up because then we know and then we need to just watch and see how they're outpacing each other because eventually what should be happening is the number of confirmed cases i mean the number of uh, recoveries should be outpacing the number of deaths you know and when that changes, that's when we should be worried. But right now we're all worried because they keep telling us the death toll is rising, but they're not telling us that the recovery toll is rising. Or like you have these basketball players that have it. They're like, oh, he tested positive. But they're like, yeah, but he doesn't have any symptoms and he's going to be fine. And I'm like, that's please report that. Report that. If there's if there's if there's 100,000 uh, cases and there's 20,000 people that all recover, I want to know. I need to know. Yeah, you know what I mean. And so, I think that so I'm not worried, or so you're not worried sitting at the house in quarantine. Yeah, <laughs> that's real. Yeah. yeah, and I think part of the problem is that I mean we know this is part of the problem, but because of the test shortage, I think that, and I, this might be fake news. I'm I'm from I I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that in order to be counted as an official recovery, you have to get tested again and test negative, right? So. You, and so, yeah, I think it is also just a, a function of how few tests there are, yeah, right? Because there we are have there are recovery whatever, like twenty three tests per million people or some shit, right? Yeah, there 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 are recovery numbers, but they're so small. They look so small in comparison to the to the caseload, and it, and it just it can't be possible. Like just like given what we know about like the lifespan of the disease, that only like two thousand people in the U.S. have recovered when there's literally over a hundred thousand cases or documented, but. 
I, you know, I think it's, you know, and many people might blame our government for the lack of testing that we have. You know, I might be one of those people. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, um, so am I. I mean, I might be too. Who knows? Maybe there's two of us. Who knows? Maybe, maybe it might be. Um, but because of that, we don't have the resources to test people when they get better. So it's just it, it makes yeah, well, that much for, for people who not even like who are recovering, but people who have it, the rate at which like they they think that like the people who have it, it's like five times to like 20 times as many people as you actually see reported as actual cases because they're turning away every everyone who doesn't not even people who like don't have symptoms, but also people who like have the symptoms, but don't seem like they're going to be in a critical enough like position that they're going to need hospital care. Right. Because like my mom knows of like, you know, this person who has it and definitely gave it to like their entire family. But only his parents, because they're old, were able to even get a test. The test shouldn't be a commodity. I still think it's because uh, Trump wants to keep the numbers low. But now that we're in the lead, it's like, all right, great. We're in the lead now. Can we go ahead and like can we wrap up these? Tests? You failed. Yeah, can we can we're we do in the this? lead? Yeah, we're number one. Let's do these tests. Like, because the thing is, if you, because my thing is, if he's really serious about getting the economy back on track, if he's serious about it, then why wouldn't you want to test everybody? Because then if you test, if you test, I guarantee you, if you test all these people who are sitting in their house doing nothing, who are feeling fine, if you test all these people and a bunch of them all come back positive for coronavirus, especially if we're being honest, there's going to be a lot of people that are like, chill. Okay, let's, let's go chill at the house and not. Like, let me not go out. Let me like chill inside. Let me do something. And then especially if you come up with some testing program that gives them a test in the beginning and then 14 late, 14 to 21 days later, gives them a second test. So you can say you could pass this. Go on out there, wash your hands, keep gloves on, wear a mask, that type of thing. You know what I mean? Like then we can get back to work in waves, but we're not going to get back if we all don't get tested like that. Yeah, it just I mean, seems that's crazy real. to me. <laughs> that's real. And like, that's exactly what South Korea did right they sent out teams of people and they tested every human and they knew exactly who had the virus yes and and that's how we learned like oh shit a lot of people are asymptomatic a lot of people yes Mm -hmm. yeah and from what i heard the reason is because like the world health organization put out a test and they were just willing to take that test and use it but the u.s was not like the cdc was like no we want a more robust test than this and it took them a very long time to create it and so like they refused to use the who test and that's why like they just have a huge deficit of tests right now but i bet you south korea's economy is doing better than ours right now (laughs) well it's this weird trade-off between from an economic standpoint because there are countries like the uk and sweden who said because we don't want to shut down everything because we are trying to basically like keep the economy running because if we shut down everything that's going to tank our economies we're just going to just decide to do nothing and just let people die because in the long run we think that that's probably actually going to save us money because if all these old people who are using the healthcare system and not contributing to the economy die we might literally save money the uk walked that back but like that yeah because boris johnson has coronavirus Right, exactly. So, <laughs> but like that was like literally just a viable like thing to think as someone who was leading an entire country, you know, yeah, which is just wild bad shit. I, yeah, they walked it back in like about three or four days after that sort of press release came out where they were like, yeah, we're just not going to do anything. <laughs> See, here's my thing. Back. There's a part of me. There's a small part of me that's like, OK, you know what? Let's experiment. Let's do it. Let's lean all the way into it. And let's just say, forget social distancing, lean into it. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. I'm like, okay. But just so you know, 
the three of us, we're not responsible for all these people. We're not responsible. And when election time comes, they're going to look at you and say, oh, eight million people died. Uh, granted, you know, a lot of people didn't get it, but eight, eight million people died. Do you want to be the president that said that, like, I just don't know if in history you want to be the president that said, I saved the economy by killing of, 8 million people. <laughs> yeah, instead yeah, of I the, saved the people. But the rationale was that if the economy tanks, they think that will kill more people than the actual coronavirus, right? Then, because the economy tanking does kill people, right? It's true. But I'm saying like... And it's, so it's hard to make that calculation, right? What is actually... Because it's counterfactual, right? How do you gonna, how do you know what's actually going to kill more people? Well, that's the thing, though. Okay, so they're like, if the economy tanks, it's going to kill more people. I'm like, yeah, but how, though? Because if all you billionaires have the ability to prop up the economy, the economy and the, all you have to do is just stop being a billionaire then then yeah, how are you gonna blame like, that on us <laughs> yeah it's like saying like listen we set up the system that has problems but now the system now if we don't prop up the system because we don't want to change the system y'all a lot of y'all are just gonna die but in yeah. all actuality it's like i think in times like these like we things have to stop becoming commodities like ronald was saying and need to start becoming necessities yes and that's how you prevent people from dying you know yes. <laughs> Like, for instance, now we know that Internet is not is a utility. Internet is not a luxury. It is a utility. Everyone needs Internet. Like they should be there should be piping Internet everywhere. We need Internet like that's we've proven it right now. We're proving it right now by doing this, by saying people got to work from home, all that stuff. It, it's just everyone needs it straight up. Yeah. Like so, not even a utility, like a human right. 100 percent. 100 percent. The way we treat yeah. it. Yeah. 100 way we treat it for sure. I'd love to. And maybe this can be one of our last topics before you wrap up. I'd love to talk about if you all have heard any sort of like viable theories or options for getting the country started again. Like, what does it look like? You know, I because I at first I was one of the biggest points of dread for me was that, you know, it's really easy to look down the line and see Okay, so even once we have like the virus quote unquote under control, we still can't release everybody back into the world because then it's just going to become not under control again. Like we're just going to spread again. Um, so I'm curious to see if you all have heard or read any sort of theories about what restarting this country would look like. Well, I, I did listen to an episode of the Ezra Klein show that featured basically the guy who was in charge of uh, the U.S.'s response to the Ebola outbreak. And that was mainly like not something that he was coordinating. Like he was basically coordinating the, the African response as opposed to like doing stuff in the U.S. Um, but his theory is basically just that there's going to be a lot of moments where we're like, OK, we want to like, you know, go back to work and like, you know, try to go yeah basically jumpstart the economy again and then it's going to like the virus is more patient than us is, is his whole thing is that like we're going to do that it's going to spread again and then we're going to go back into quarantine and there's going to be a lot of these like iterations of us just like having like wanting to come out and then like you know realizing that it is just not like viable and that it's spread, it's going to spread again then we're gonna have to go back right but i do think that eventually my ideal world is if you know eventually once like those cycles are done right we we, we do start having a world where people are way more able to work from home and then i can create my you know like big house where i invite all my friends to come live with me and we all just live in like you know 15 person communes or whatever <laughs> like with our friends <laughs> 
I think that's closer than you think, honestly. I think um, so. I don't have a viable option for restarting uh, the world, but I will say I do want to say a little bit about the change that comes after this. And I think that uh, the change that comes after this is that we will see a world in which work from home is a more viable and realistic option and more normalized option where it's like you, there's no assumption that you getting a job means that you have to go anywhere. Like it just means that you have to do something, which is fair. I think that you will see a world in which people are a little more naturally distant from one another, especially from C class and D class friends, people that you would see at parties that you otherwise might not attend because you don't know so-and-so like that. I think the idea of a, a, a potluck is going to be uh, it's going to be very different now because it's going to be like, where did you cook that? Do I know that you washed your hands like that type of thing? I think we're going to be uh, we're going to be obsessively washing our hands a lot more after this. Um, there's going to be a, a emphasis on things being clean. I think you're going to see a lot more things being not touch based anymore, whether it be our phones, whether it be televisions. There's going to be a lot more things that are based on voice commands. So you don't have to be touching everything so much. I think there's going to be a lot of things that change after this in terms of a viable solution to push us out of this. I mean, it's it's literally just going to be wait and see. But I know America, it's going to cost a lot of American lives. I hope I hope it's that I hope it doesn't disproportionately affect like the vulnerable populations like um, and the people that are already taking the shellacking. You know what I mean? Um, you know, there there was I, I mean, I could just hope for that. But I mean, I, I know based on the way they're looking at it now, based on who's in charge and all that, uh, it's it's going to hurt. Like no matter what, whether it be a long time that we're in quarantine, which I don't think will be the case because I I don't think we're that smart. Um, But I think I do think that because of that, that's why we'll be pushed into these other methods, because I think the people they may push us back to work, but the people will still look at our jobs and say, I'm not going back into an office. I will do the job from home. Like, that's the fair thing to ask. I will do that entire job from here. And I think that's what will push the normalization of all these other um, virtual connectivity and all that stuff. I think a lot of that is what will push us in that direction. But it's going to hurt no matter what. Ronald, thank you so much for sitting with us today virtually. <laughs> hey, it was my pleasure. Glad to be here. Before we get out of here, I know that you have a ton of stuff that, you know, a ton of cool projects you're working on. So why don't you talk about them for a little bit? Oh, cool. Okay. So I am the host and producer of two podcasts, uh, Time Well Spent, which is a narrative podcast. Uh, it's a semi-autobiographical kind of a modern day parables. I take stories from my life and talk a little bit more about how that relates to the larger world and how I relate to the larger world. So um, that's a good one. And then I also have Leaving the Theater, which is my movie review podcast where I review movies as I'm leaving the theater currently. And it's on the couch for because I can't go to the theater. So I'm reviewing things while I'm uh, sitting at home on the couch uh, just as they end. So I have those two and those are both a part of my um, p- production company called Oh, It's Big Ron Studios. Working on a website, I got to get documents over to Keith from uh, I think Keith Save Cheney Dish. from uh, yeah from Save Dish so shout out to Keith shout out to Save Dish uh, but yeah so working on that uh, and that's all part of Oh It's Big Round Studios I have a website coming soon but until then follow me on Instagram at Oh It's Big Rod that's at O-H-I-T-S-B-I-G-R-O-N Got a lot of time to work on the website. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> That's what I'm doing now, too. We're working on our website. Yeah, like, I might as well get it done. 
<laughs> if you really, if you really like Big Ron, uh, you're in luck because next week we're going to be dropping uh, the live recording of our live show or the recording of our live show, which happened, I think, like a month and a half ago. We recorded the live podcast a month ago. It was fantastic. It was a, a sold out show at the at the podcast garage here in D.C. So shout out to the podcast garage. Shout out to um, Carlin from the Fentorage podcast for coming on us for coming on that as well. Um, and also a quick shout out to all of these black men with trash hairlines right now because I like my my fade bro is just like, <laughs> like what are we supposed to do nothing man gonna... we just all look like we all look like uh, <laughs> I don't want to piss nobody off I was going to say we all look like we all look like black dudes who watch anime but I know a yes. lot of people watch anime 1000% so how like for and for us single kings <laughs> single kings how are we gonna video mac on any women with these trash hairlines that we have <laughs> you can't man you can't look at this like what are you supposed to do I can barely <laughs> barely keep the woman I have with this hairline man yeah honestly cool Bye. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs>